Okay, uh, we're talking about what makes you happy, and it was in the video we saw different things that we think makes us happy, and sometimes that falls through. Sometimes that doesn't happen. So we started a couple of weeks ago. We'll review a little bit. You can always go back and watch those or listen to those at, at your convenience. So today's topic is peace with God. Now, those of you who have written outlines, don't look at them. All right, we're doing a little quiz. Those of you who have been here the last two weeks. All right. So we asked the question, or we asked Jesus the question, what makes a person happy? So who remembers answer week num number one? Uh, this is always dangerous for a pastor to ask, preacher. Anybody remember? It's an ing word. No thing. All right. All right. Good. We said, no thing makes you happy. It's more about a who than a what. Or maybe it's about who, a who or two instead of a what. Now, what's are things can bring what we call caffeine happiness, short-term happiness. But the happiness we're looking for doesn't come from things, but it does come from people. Now, last week we talked about the second answer. Who knows the answer? Remember that one. It's also an ing word. Sewing, sewing, good, good job. Uh, anyway, uh, Jesus answers that question. It comes from sewing, and I put some of the uh, outline on here for a review, so we'll just go through that quickly. So consequently, happiness is an outcome. It is not something that you can snap your fingers and have. And Jesus said, you're smarter than that. You, you, you understand it. You realize it. You just can't turn happiness on and off just like that. So it's an outcome. Another way to say it, happiness is about something you do now that leads to something later. So right now, we can be planting or sowing things to make us happy later, especially if we're not happy now. But even if you are happy now, you still continue to plant those things or sow those things so you'll be happy tomorrow and down, down the line. So consequently, happiness is not immediately accessible. You can't just have it because, oh, I decide I want it. If you haven't done the sowing, you can't do the reaping. So that's on your outline too. You sow and you reap your way to happiness. The flip side is also true. You sow and reap your way to unhappiness. So if you're unhappy now, unhappy with uh, a relationship, or unhappy with uh, your health, or unhappy with your finances, most of the time, 90% of the time, you can trace that back to what you've done previously. Neglecting your health, neglecting a relationship, neglecting your finances, or abusing, right? So it's like cause and effect principle when it comes to happiness. <clears throat> and so we're connecting the word happiness with the word peace. And so we're going to say every person that is happy has peace. And every person that is unhappy doesn't have peace. If you do not have peace this morning, I can guarantee you there's something that has made you unhappy. You've done something that's made you unhappy. You have regrets about something, something you wish you did that you didn't do. Uh, again, in those different areas, relationships, finances, uh, uh, health issues, etc. So we re back in week one, we talked about three areas, three, there we go, three areas we need to have peace. First, peace with yourself. Happy people have peace with themselves. They're uh, comfortable in their own skin, they know who they are and they know who they're not. <laughs> uh, interesting, we've all met people that their physical circumstances 
aren't as good as ours. Maybe their health isn't as good as us. They may even be handicapped in some respect. Uh, their finances aren't as good as us. Uh, they just don't seem to have as much going on for them as we do, yet they're happy. In fact, we kind of hate those people sometimes, don't we? <laughs> How could you be so happy and I'm not happy? And you don't have all these things that I have. So happiness with ourselves. You have to deal with um, your past. We all have regrets, we all have done things, we, and you have to learn to deal with that. And we're going to talk about how to do that in a few minutes. So happiness with yourself, happiness, secondly, with others, in relationship with others. Now, we've all been amused, abused and misused by other people, been lied about, and all those different things. And it's easy to become a victim, say, oh, poor pitiful me. But people that, people that are at peace with other people, don't let that get them down. Uh, we're going to talk about we need to be like Jesus, to love one another, to forgive one another, just as God has forgiven us. He forgave it all. We should forgive it all. So, peace with other people. And then the topic we're centering on today is you have to have peace with God. Peace with God. Um, why is this important? Well, we talked about that in week one also. and It's on your outline. Peace with God is significant, very important, because it paves the way for peace with ourselves, forgiveness of ourselves, if you will, and equips us, gives us the ability to make peace with others. See, I might not be a very forgiving person, but once God has forgiven me, I have no excuse. God's forgiven me way more than anything, any other person I'm going to ever have to forgive. So it's pretty, uh, what, arrogant, maybe un uh, unappreciative of God's forgiveness for me not to forgive other people. So I should be able to deal with my past personally and with other people. Forgive myself and forgive others. Do unto others as God has done to me. So that's the significance of peace with God. So if we're talking about peace, we must have an assumption that there is at times what? Lack of peace, right? Or on your outline, it's put this way. There is conflict. And since we're talking about conflict or peace with God, there must be conflict with God. So I want to talk to you about two levels that you and I are, are potentially at conflict with God. And I'll give you an illustration of both to try and help you understand. So the first one, the first conflict is with generic sin. Generic sin. Now here's the illustration we're going to use. Think about what country you were born in. I've got one person in here, at least, that I know wasn't born in this country. How many of you were not born in this country? That's right, I forgot about my son. <laughs> I knew Sally wasn't, she's from the Philippines. But yes, two of our four children, I'll talk about that, one of the other sons, in a few minutes. So, um, but my son was born to American parents or United States citizens, so he was still an American citizen, all right? So, some of you have one of these. If you go overseas, you have to have one of these. So, I'm in another country. They say, oh, what country are you from? Well, I'm from where? United States, right? Okay. So, did I get to choose to be born in the United States? Or did you guys get to choose where you were born? You didn't get to choose, did you? Now, most of us, if we had a choice, would choose to be born in the United States. Is there some other country you'd prefer to be born in? Yeah, maybe a few of us might, might but most, most of us, no. Why? Because it's probably one of the best countries in the world to be born in. Now, the other side of this is, 
I didn't get to choose that. And so, even though it's a benefit to me, it's still not fair, is it? So I put this on your outline. This is an important truth in life, folks. Something can be unfair and true at the same time. So it's not fair, especially some people that are born into poverty and third world countries and, and, and starvation and all those things. It's not fair that they're born there and I was born here, or vice versa, but it's still true, isn't it? So that's important when we talk about we're all born into another country or another nation or another kingdom, and we're going to call it the kingdom or nation of sin. Just like I was born in the United States, all of us were born into the nation of sin. Is it fair? Nope, not fair. But that still doesn't make it untrue, does it? So Paul, who wrote a good portion of our New Testament, kind of gave us some theology to back up things Jesus said. And so we're going to look at something he wrote to a church in Rome. And he, he's going to flesh this, this concept out for us. So, when Adam sinned, now once upon a time there was no sin. There was no nation of sin. God created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden, everything was perfect, there was no sin. But God created man with the ability to choose. Aren't you glad? Anyway, so we had the ability to choose whether to sin or not to sin. So sin, didn't enter, sin entered the world when what? When Adam chose to do it, to disobey God. So the, the text goes on. Then sin entered the world through Adam. Now, okay, so what does that mean? Well, sin entered the world, then sin brought death. There was no death before that. After Adam's sin, Adam was going to die. Eve was going to die. Every person ever lived is going to die. Animals die. Plants die. Everything dies because sin has entered the world. And it's spread to everyone. It's, it's more contagious than COVID. because, it, In fact, it's not even contagious. Everybody's born with it. And any time there is sin, there's death. We've all probably killed relationships by sinning. We've all uh, been killing our bodies through abuse of our bodies. Uh, some of us are killing our financial situation by um, unwise spending. So anytime there is sin, there's death. So consequently, you might think of it this way. We all were born into what we would think is the wrong country, right? Anybody choose to be born into the country of sin? No. So we're all, not fair, but we're all born into the country of sin. So I've got a couple uh, illustrations that kind of visualize this. Any of you are familiar with Billy Graham and Peace with God? This comes from his material. All right, so we people are in this country of sin. Um, and we can try lots of things to get out of this country, over into this God's country or kingdom of God over here. But there's this big chasm, there's a big uh, hostility, there's a big conflict. And so we try good works. I'll just be a really good person. You see, I get you over there? No, you've you got to be perfect to get over there, so that doesn't work. We can try religion, be really a religious person. That won't get you over there. You can try just being a good person. That won't get you over there. No matter how much I want to act like I want to, I, that I belong over there, I'm still not going to be over there. It'd be kind of like going to France and say, uh, or learning to speak French 
and claim that I'm a French citizen. Well, I'm not a French citizen just because I learn French. One reason churches gather and we gather as a church is because we're aware of this conflict. We're also aware of the solution and we want everyone to know. Jesus at one time was talking to this guy, a religious guy named Nicodemus, and he, he said it this way. He said, you must be born again. And he's all confused. He said, I can't enter in my mother's womb. That's kind of gross. Can't do that again. He said, no, 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 you misunderstand. You're born into the kingdom of sin. He didn't say it that way. So you need to be reborn or born again into what? The kingdom of God. So Paul reiterates these themes in different letters. So we're going to look at something he said in the letter we call Colossians. Uh, he talks about these kingdoms. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he, God, Jesus, has rescued us from what? The kingdom of darkness or death or sin. So Jesus came to rescue us or to get us out of that kingdom. And trans this, this translation says transfer us to the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of God. So you and I need rescuing from that kingdom of sin. We can't do it ourselves. So how? How do we get out? Out of one and into the other. All right, he demonstrates or explains this to us back in Romans chapter 5. Uh, <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by what? Faith. So there is a way to get across there's a way to get out of this kingdom and to get into that other kingdom. It is by faith. Now, some of us might feel like, well, I don't belong in that kingdom. I'm a mess up. I got bad habits, etc. But he says, okay, we're all in that camp. We're all been, been sinners. We'll continue to sin. But there is a way out of that kingdom into God's kingdom. It's by faith. And consequently, we have what? There's our word. We have, go ahead, peace. Let's say it together. Peace. All right. So by faith, I can have peace with God. Not because of anything I've done, right? It's by faith what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So here, let me explain it this way on your outline. You did not behave your way into your original nation of sin. You didn't. You were born that way. You hadn't done anything. You were born into that nation. You didn't behave your way into it. Now, we do sin. We'll talk about that in a minute. But So, consequently, you and I cannot behave our ways into this new kingdom or the kingdom of God. We can't do enough good stuff. We can't behave our way into it. It's by faith. And then he goes on in the next verse. He says this, because of our faith. Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege. That's in the kingdom of God. We don't deserve to be there. He's brought us there where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So back to that Peace with God tract of Billy Graham's, the illustration looks like this. We can get crossed from the kingdom of darkness or sin over to the kingdom of God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. One way you can think about it, I get a new passport, the kingdom of God passport. 
again, by faith. So, summarizing, peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. I can deal with that nation of sin that I was born into, and I can get into this new kingdom of God. Okay, so, we'll talk about if you're not in that kingdom, again, here at the end, but most of you that are here are probably already taking care of that. You already had that initial peace with God. So then the other issue is this. What is the other conflict? Well, the other conflict is your and my ongoing sin, right? Just because I've entered in the kingdom of God doesn't make me sinless or perfect. I continue to sin. So let me try and illustrate it this way. Think about the family you grew up in. So you had some kind of guardians. I had a mom and a dad. Some of you had mom and dad. Some of you had single parents. Whatever situation might be. Somebody raised you, right? Now, when children are small, they have conflict with their parents, but it's short-lived, right? I don't want to brush my teeth, but they brush their teeth, and they're fine. They go to bed, whatever it is. But somewhere along the line, probably about teenage years, what happens? What happens? We have some teenagers in here. You and your parents get, get along fine, right? You agree on everything. It's kind of just the opposite of that, right? You kind of, it's kind of like you, all of a sudden you don't agree on anything. And so they want to do this, and you tell them no, and they don't want to do this, and you tell them yes. And so there's this kind of butting of heads and, and this conflict. And as a child, you think the problem is what? who? Who's the problem? Your parents are the problem, right? They're old fuddy-duddies. They don't understand, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you, on the other hand, you made some of those mistakes, that you, you know, stayed out past your curfew or whatever it might be, and you're trying to spare your kids the negative consequences. So teenagers, you don't realize your parents are smarter than you are, but they are, okay? Just by the dumb stuff we've done, experience we've done. Parents, teenagers, listen. Parents, one of the most difficult things you and I have to do is do what? Go tell our kids no when they want us to say yes. Isn't it? Because we don't want to spoil their fun. We don't want to make them unhappy. But we know that short-term unhappiness is going to lead to a better chance of long-term happiness, right? So we go in and sacrifice short-term happiness for the good of our, our children. Who is it best for? Well, not best for us. It would be easier just to let them do it, right? I don't want to mess up my relationship disrupt my relationship with my child. So here's how I put it on your outline. A parent's love for you is too strong to simply go along. Ah, go ahead and do whatever you want. No, they, they love you too much. They're trying to spare you from some of those dumb mistakes that they made. So God is described as our perfect heavenly father. Now, your parents are going to make mistakes, so forgive them. <laughs> but God never makes a mistake. So God's love for you is too strong to simply go alone. And so we have a conscience. Sometimes we call it, we are convicted by the, the Spirit of God, right? We do something wrong, we feel bad about it. So, again, on your outline, there's this tension between happiness and disobedience. So every time you and I are tempted, we, we have this decision to make. Now, there is pleasure in sin for a season. So we opt for the short-term pleasure over happiness or peace with God. 
I know God's, you know, my conscience is going to bother me for doing it, but I still want to do it. And so we do it. None of us truly comp- can comprehend God, but God reveals Himself to us as we mature or grow. And I, th- I like to think about it this way. If a three-year-old comes to you and asks you where babies come from, parents, what do you tell them? Do you get out the, the textbooks and show them all the pictures and all that stuff? I don't think so, anyway. <laughs> Maybe some parents do, I don't know. But by the time they're teenagers, of course, they already know probably, but if they ask you that question, your answers are going to be a little different, aren't they? And the same thing with God deals with us. He doesn't reveal everything to us because we can't comprehend it. But as we grow and mature, we understand more. And I like to think about it this way. When I choose disobedience, I can imagine Jesus saying to me, do you realize how much this costs me? That's what me cost. This is your temporary pleasure cost me this much. And it's costing you temporary lack of peace with God. Now, John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he lived to be a long life. He lived the oldest disciple we know of. Anyway, so we have writings of John, John's Gospel, uh, Book of Revelation, uh, and he wrote a couple letters, and we think they were later in his life, and I'll explain to you why as we read this. He talks about this concept. This is in uh, 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship, another word for fellowship is peace, correct? If we say we have fellowship or peace with Him, Jesus, and yet keep on walking in darkness or sin, you're a liar. Don't you love old, older folks? The older they get, the less uh, careful they are with what, the, what they say and how they say it. The more blunt they get. So John's old now, so he's not going to you know, mince any words. He said, okay, if you say you're at, at peace and you keep walking in darkness, you're lying. You can't. It's not true. You're lying and you're not practicing the truth. So God wants A and you're not willing to do A. You do not have fellowship or peace. Next verse, he says this, but if you walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have, there's our word, fellowship or peace with one another as well as with God, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when you and I are not at peace, as believers, Jesus followers, if you're not, we're, we're delighted you're, you're either watching or present here with us. As a Jesus follower, when you and I sin, you and I cannot have peace with God. Now, whose problem is it? Did God, did God change? No, God never changes. He loves us unconditionally. So if I'm not at peace with God, it, it falls on me and my choices. So later on in the letter, he gets back to this topic again. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, you're lying. Not mentioning any words, you're a liar. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be called a liar. John doesn't care. <laughs> That's the truth. If you don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. So hate and peace cannot coexist. If you have hate in your heart, you do not have peace in your heart. So, reviewing. Peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. 
That's how you get access to the kingdom of heaven. Peace with God is sustained a little differently. It's sustained by submission to Jesus, by saying, your will, not my will, be done. So there's a cost involved. So I'm faced with a temptation. Okay, well, I can resist the temptation and have peace with God, or I can give in to the temptation and not have peace with God. It's going to cost me something either way. It's going to cost me the pleasure of the sin, or it's going to cost me peace with God. So I'm going to give you an illustration. Hopefully this is helpful from uh, our lives a uh, long time ago. So we're, most of you know, we were missionaries in Portugal. Uh, Josh and Micah were small. Jared wasn't born yet when I'm telling this story. Um, we've been there about a year. Um, learning the language. My wife learned it a lot better than me or faster than me because she has to talk, <laughs> if you know my wife. So language wasn't going to stop her. So she learned the language faster than I did. So jo- um, backtracking a little bit. We were in language school four hours a day, so Josh and Micah had to be somewhere. So they were in a Portuguese elementary school. All right? And then when we got home in the afternoon, Josh would have American school. Micah wasn't in school yet. He wasn't old enough. So Josh is about seven years old. He needs a notebook for school. So my wife takes him to this little shopping center about a mile away and looks for this notebook he needs for school. Well, she turns around and Josh isn't there. Parents, all right, what happens? Especially moms, what happens when your child is missing? Panic, right? Now, you gotta have to understand, this is in another country and you only partially know the language and he's missing, all right? So she starts asking people. Now, the Portuguese are such great people. These little shops, the shop owners close their stores and help my wife look for him. In fact, they... This guy that had a coffee tea place, he's, uh, Chaz, I'll give you Chazinha, that's a little tea. <laughs> uh, you just sit down, because she's pregnant with Andrea. So she's pregnant, Josh is missing, you just sit down here, we'll find your son. That's what they did, They're closing their shops and so forth. Well, Josh, Josh's uh, side of the story is that uh, he went out to the car and waited for, for his mom, and when she didn't show up, he walked back home. Now, he's seven years old in a foreign country, a mile away, and there's a big, one big highway he has to cross. He said, well, how did you get across the highway? Well, I just stood next to this guy who was going to cross the highway, and when he crossed, I crossed with him. He's not dumb. Can't say he's dumb, is he, really? So I'm sitting at home, and he walks in. I say, where's your mom? Uh, she's lost. <laughs> not he was lost. She was lost. Well, what, what do you mean? Well, she's back there at, at the store. So I don't have a car, so we, have a, we were friends with the guy that managed the apartment building. He was Portuguese, but spoke really good English. He had lived in South Africa. So I asked him if he could take me down there. So I put Josh and Micah in, in the car, and we drove down to the store to find my wife. Now, when Deb sees Josh, what is her reaction? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to strangle you. Parents, what is your reaction? Moms especially. Relief, right? You're not mad at them. Okay. Now, you may or may not be looking for God. You may or may not. Josh didn't know he was, <laughs> he was lost. But God knows. And God's looking for you.
So my last question is this. Why? Why would anyone, why would you refuse God's offer of peace? What's worth it? What's worth it? Always like to give something for you to think about afterwards. So those of you that aren't Jesus followers, here's the question I have for you. Have you made peace with God? And if not, why not? And you can do it right now. I'll pray for you in a minute, then you can do it then. Or you can do it. This, don't let today go by without resolving that conflict. Most of us are Jesus followers, so here's the question. Are you at peace with God right now? Is there ongoing sin in your life that you haven't confessed and, and uh, turned from? Again, what is worth not having peace with God? Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much oh, that you fixed what we couldn't fix. <laughs> we couldn't fix the fact that we were born in this kingdom of sin, that we were separated with, from you. We couldn't have peace with you, that you sacrificed, because of your love for us, your only son, Jesus, come to earth and suffer and die, conquer death by raising from the dead, and now we too can have peace with you. By faith. So anyone that's listening or watching that's not at peace with God, you can pray that prayer. God, I, I ask for your forgiveness. Please come in and make me part of your family. Invite me into your kingdom. God will refuse no one. Most of us are Jesus followers God, and we're all in a degree of peace, I guess. Some of us may have some little things nudging at us. Maybe there's some big things. I would pray we'd come to realize we're kind of dumb God you know that we come to realize that the peace with you is more important than whatever sacrifice we're making for it I pray for each of us that we'd have the wisdom to understand what's disrupting our peace and the courage to take the steps to be at peace with God thank you Jesus for all you've done for us in your name we pray amen